uh, we're uh, we home. had a family in, in West Texas. We grew up in Texas. I luxuriate in the in the uh-huh. lust, lustriousness of our discourse. What's that? They always just like. Uh, Doesn't there always that, that stereotype uh, Texan man like speaks really beautifully with really long words? The illustrious nature oh. of which we shall digress will forever. That's pertain. more. That's not Texas. That's no, more lo- like Louisiana. Louisiana. On the bayou. Oh, that's up. We'll down. go up on my on my boat and we'll ride. Play <laughs> now poker. you go and clean us from Simpsons. <laughs> hey, Ma, come out here. <laughs> I've been in Geneva. Yeah. And um and somewhere else. Did you go somewhere else? No, Where did I go somewhere else? No. Not not since we've recorded. No, I've, been, I've been a bit of a mess just You've around. Done. For work, again. For work. We need to yeah. You're not just, just having holidays. I was filming in Geneva, right. which is beautiful. Yeah. It's looks, really, really beautiful. Great. Like by the lake and it's just Lake there. Geneva. Lake li- the Lake Geneva, mm. yeah. And it's so nice, but I do think you have to be a millionaire to enjoy it. <laughs> Like, I, it was fine because I wasn't paying, yeah. but the cost of some of the food and coffee sure. there, it's like 30 pounds for a burger. Right. The yeah. steak is like 70. They like, just know who's coming to Lake Geneva then. And, and they... like, I had a lovely time. I was filming in like very fancy yeah. hotels doing like promo stuff. And some of the hotel rooms, even if I was someone who had like 50 million in the bank, some of the hotel rooms are like five grand a night. I'm wow. just thinking. No, not... no bed's that comfortable. No. No hotel is that soundproof. I went into this, I was filming in this one room called the Grace Kelly Suite. Nice. And it had paintings of, or pictures, sorry, of Grace Kelly and it's yeah. where she used to stay okay. and do all these things. It was very nice, but it was almost like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like five grand. Um, and I'm not the market. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, it was a bit, my mic was a bit wonky. Your mic was a bit yeah, wonky. Sorry. Just strange out there. Yeah, um, I've never been to Switzerland, but um, I'd like to. And your, your pictures did make it look really nice. Yeah, it's lots of nice chocolate. It's mm. nice watches. Mm. You're, you're really just really. Uh, do you actually go? Because you're just saying all the stereotypes. It, 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 you know, honestly, it Cuckoo really clocks. is. On the, main, like, on the main promenade Army of the lake is like Patek Philippe, Rolex, oh, Cartier. Really? Wow. They've got massive storefronts, mm. like bigger than what would be an Oxford Street storefront. Just huge, glitzy, mm. glamorous. Wow. And then, yeah, it's just... Um, if it was like Oxford Street, did it have loads of um, American candy stores there as well? <laughs> no, the, the money laundering. The money uh, laundering, empty things. American yeah. candy stores. It's, it's a like very specific for, uh, London reference. Yeah. That, um, they're, they're, they're fairly... They're, I don't know if they've always kind of been around, but those have like properly taken <laughs> over in the last five years. Uh, yeah, and I think it's pe- specifically uh, post-pandemic as well. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the luggage... The I Heart London yes. badges, yeah. things to smoke weed with, yes. and then just yeah, yeah, the vape so shots, much American candy, and a, a really big packets that are like fourteen pounds yeah. for a thing of um, what are they called lucky lucky stars, lucky stars, and like that, lucky yeah. charms, maybe. Yeah. Have you seen the TikTok about the guy uh, who's who, he's Scottish and he does that skit about what shops you should put in an airport? No. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking which ones we should we should put in. It's like WH yeah, Smith. WH Smith. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? The shop that no one goes into? Uh, yeah. Anyone, yeah. Any others? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. want to put two in? At least. <laughs> two by the Seven. gate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two at the, two at the entrance. <laughs> oh, man, it's funny. Very good. But when you're talking about... When you're talking about Geneva just then, it reminds me... Because I've come back from Copenhagen. Yes. Um, which a bit like... I guess, imagine a bit like Switzerland, which is um, everything's incredibly 
you know, great, but a little bit expensive. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about uh, Copenhagen and Denmark is that it's basically a much better version of the UK. Mm. There are less people. Um, everything works. Everything is clean. Everything is everything is done to incredibly high quality and high standard. Mm. Denmark and Copenhagen are often top the list of happiest places and best places to live in the really? world. Right? I think they are the happiest country is in it, the do world. Do you feel that there's a calm energy about people engaging? Because oh, you know, it's so like, good. I love London, but there is a sense that everyone's kind of. Just Aggie. a little bit hunched oh, over, yeah. even just in the energy between exchanges. And I go to other cities, which are feel very busy, yeah. but the people are sort of gliding through. Well, the thing is about Copenhagen, to, to, to London's defence, is that Copenhagen has a population of like half a million, and the whole of Denmark has a population of about six million, which is less than the population of London. Yes. So they can get away with being like, hey, this is nice and easy. And I'm like, yeah, that's like one borough. You've got one borough's worth of population. Yeah. But, um, it what did was, you do there? How did you spend your time? I just did, well, here's the thing. You know, normally when you go somewhere on holiday, like, like let's say Florence, and you go, and you go, wow, this is an amazing place, but I, mm. I wouldn't necessarily want to live here, right? Yes. When we get to Copenhagen, it's like, I would love to live here. It's, yeah. it's evident that the quality of life is incredibly high and, and wonderful. But as a tourist, it, it takes a little bit more kind of breaking into. First of all, I mean, I came to Copenhagen during this extraordinary heat wave we've been having in the UK, which yeah. is like, you know, his record-breaking heat wave. And I get to Copenhagen, it's like 18 degrees, maybe at best. It's technically like, on the longitude, it's like, um, or latitude, it's higher than Scotland, nor more north than Scotland, right? So it's like a bit windy, wrap up in the evenings, a little bit of rain, a little bit, we, we got there after their heat wave and just uh, before their other one, um, it did clear up. But so we got there and it was a bit, a bit cold and it's a bit rainy and, you know, it gets cold in the evenings. Um, and and Copenhagen is very flat as well. So it's okay. very, very hard to get your bearings. It's one of the flattest countries on earth right so you can't you can't go oh, there's that landmark over there you're just in you're in yeah, the trenches in of the building yeah um but i just want to say it was just um very nice everyone speaks not just not just everyone speaks english everyone speaks impeccable english really it's like it's not like uh, i think i can help you to go to the uh, you know like if you get in paris it, it, it's like Good afternoon it's like <laughs> hello you would like to go to the the art museum that's down there and i know i know as a tourist i shouldn't expect people to, to speak english I'm not, I'm not saying that but just being confronted it makes you want to speak better english yes, hearing yeah. it. you're like oh my goodness uh, like i said everything is just incredibly high quality nothing is good food. people yeah yeah good everything is good quality it yeah. costs a lot like five pound for a cup of coffee kind of good quality oh right yeah yeah, yeah. um but but, but and everyone you meet, like, like even at like the bus terminal or the, or the train station, the people who work there aren't like you know in the UK. It's just like half-assed CBA. Yeah. Uh, there it was like, yes, I would love to help you. This is my job, and I'm very happy to do it. And when this shift over is over, I go home they to get my better family. pay than us. I'm on sure average. the quality of life. It's on the whole, the it looks great. So I'm it's moving one of those to like Denmark. They pay seventy percent tax, but everything's just included. Yes, I think that's that is one, it's it's one of those places. Yeah, very life. very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They live full board <laughs> in the giant uh, Danish hotel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so thumbs up for Dane, D Denmark. Denmark. Th thumbs up for for Denmark. Any Danish listeners, um, good on you. So James. A couple of weeks ago, we ran through some of the directors that have been involved in the MCU, right? The Marvel Cinematic Universe, we were kind of covering the kind of first half of the films they put out there, showing that of all the Marvel's output, there are actually some really interesting directors that have, have been working on there, drawing on experience from lots of different things, TV, bringing in different quirks and skills, you know, Shane Black, bringing in the kind of witticism, all that kind mm. of stuff. And so, oh, there we go. It's it's a siren day today. Let's Let's... 
finish the we job. We split it into two. We split it into two. Like Avengers. We we we, we got the last to, one. We like disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> and now we're back for, we're for back. part two. So we got up to I think uh, Ant Man with Peyton Reed, mm. and we're going to just finish now covering the remaining films in the MCU and the remaining directors. Now a lot of the films that figure into phase three and phase four we won't talk about because they have the same directors as we talked about. We so covered them. We covered the Russos. You know things like that. So and we covered James Gunn and etc. So. Let's run through the remaining directors that we have for the MCU, right? Okay, so 2016, Doctor Strange, Scott Derrickson. Now, yes. if I said Scott Derrickson to you, does that ring any bells? No. Nope. Me, me neither. But what I think is quite interesting is Scott Derrickson uh, actually has a background in like, like film horror. Things like the exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, Sinister, and Deliver Us from Evil. Oh, yeah, Sinister's... Uh, Are they all like yeah. Blumhouse production, kind of? Yeah, the films James Wan produced. Yes, exactly. Those films you kind of see come in, and okay, that was an ilk. He also directed that um, Keanu Reeves uh, remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, which apparently wasn't very good. Anyway, so Scott Derrickson comes in, and he does Doctor Strange. Now, I know that he had a kind of different vision. He wanted Ethan Hawke to be... Doctor Strange. He's, oh. And he worked with Ethan Hawke on Sinister and he worked with Ethan Hawke again on his latest release, which is The Black Phone. You might have seen that advertised with the mask. Yes. Yeah, again, another one of those like Blumhouse kind and of Ethan horror Hawke eventually did get up with Marvel in Moon Knight. Yes, and Ethan Hawke yes. did get back, eventually back in in Moon Knight, yes. Uh, I would have loved to see Ethan Hawke's uh, Doctor Strange, but I understand Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, much bigger talent. With his batch of cucumbers for his cucumber patch. Is that is that the little nursery rhyme you've made about that? It's, it's a little tongue twister you do for your buzz and your comes. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, I mean, I don't know if we see a lot of like his horror roots in Doctor Strange. Not as much as we would with Sam Raimi in the yeah, second one. Yeah, it's definitely there. I just think it's kind of there. I mean, the most interesting thing for me in Doctor Strange, the first one was the sort of kaleidoscopic visuals. Yes. I don't know how much of him he had to, to be involved with that. He was slated to direct the second one and then he got moved off the project. I don't know why, over like creative differences. You yeah, know, it does happen was that, wasn't there? Um, maybe it was the change in vi- direction. I mean, as we sort of talked about when we did Thor last week and we covered Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange 2 is teased at the end of the first one as being all about Chiwetelijifor. And it's like yeah. they went, no, actually Doctor Strange 2 is going to be all about the multiverse. And that thing we teased is not really going to be relevant, is it? You know, there's this, there's this element of directors who are part of the MCU there's such a intense burden because they have to get the characters from A to B in yeah. this film because the story goes like this. There is also this sense that every time we watch one, I don't feel like the grand story was really addressed that much in the film. Yes. So I always wonder how much they need to toe the line because, mm. yeah, my, my main impression of Doctor Strange was the thing that made it distinct, uh, distinctive from everything else was kaleidoscopic visuals, yeah. Inception-esque, you know, turn, yeah. folding of, yes. of, the, of the world. And Fantastic, that was, yeah. Yeah, it really sort of set it apart from everything else. But yeah, I don't I don't finish Doctor Strange and go, ah, oh, we're at the next point in the story. Yeah. It was its own adventure. It's like here Until- he is lined up for Infinity War and he'll be in there. Also, do you think Doctor Strange is better when he's in other people's films? Like when he's in Spider-Man, when he's in Avengers. He's, gr- he's great in Infinity War, I yes, think. Yeah. yeah. But when he actually has his own role, hmm. Anyway. Okay. So uh, after that, you have... Um, it's like protecting your reality, douchebag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then you have Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn, which we covered last week. Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man is taken back from Sony. And in 2017, we get the first... Well, I know we had Spider-Man come up in... Uh, you know, Civil War, but the yes. first first last MCU... minute big deal between Sony and Marvel, isn't yep. it? Yeah, last the, the, the first uh, MCU Sony Spider-Man film with Tom Holland is directed by John Watts. Now, John Watts, most of the directors we've talked about have had long careers and mm. drawn on quite a lot of films. They'd, he'd only done two indie films, right? Called Clown and Cop Car. 
clown. I, 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 I don't recognize anyone on the IMDb, but it's about a guy who like gets a clown suit for his uh, kid's birthday party, but right. the clown suit is like possessed. Okay. It's like a, you know, kind of a bit like the horror films that um, Scott Derrickson was doing. It's kind of a, a one of those. And then Cop Car, which is this kind of, I've not seen it, but with Kevin Bacon, two joyriders steal his cop car and he's, yeah. he's the sheriff and he has to kind of discover them. And then two years later, he's doing, he's doing no, um, uh, Far From Home, um, Homecoming. Homecoming. God, they're all homes. Which, uh, that was such a clear, it's interesting you'd mentioned that sort of uh, indie film background because mm. Homecoming was such a clear conscious effort to not do mm. Spider-Man in New York, swinging around, saving the city yeah. and being set there. It was, I think, because everyone was going, what, another Spider-Man reboot? Yes. You had to make it visually different. You had to make it feel different. The tone had to change. Yeah. And I like Homecoming. I think- yes. um, I think it's probably, in my opinion, I think it's the strongest of the three. I know you like No Way Home. Yeah, I think, yeah I just, if that, well, you know, all three of them are very different, mm. and I sort of appreciate that they've they've mixed it up a bit and didn't just do it swinging around New York. But but yeah, that that doesn't surprise me now. That you say he came from a different indie movie background. They didn't. They probably didn't want to have action movie director come in. No, I, I think had a smaller hometown feel. Yeah, I think that look, uh, I liked Homecoming. I didn't mind Far From Home, and yeah. I thought No Way Home was fine as well I, but yeah. I, I appreciate that i wasn't as invested in the sort of callbacks as everyone else yes. but there was something particularly in the last two uh, with the with the direction that i found a little bit limp and a little bit lame and i know that these directors are I under what the weight mean. of a whole marvel thing but the scene in no way home where you've got all the baddies in the cells and they're just sort of talking to them one by one and what's your name blah, 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 blah. and what did you do it just felt really flat to me and the first half of far from home i was like this is a bad film. These these villains, these the water monster, the fire monster, yes. and then obviously it's revealed there's a twist, and I was like, okay, now it gets a bit more interesting. But it had a lot of heart, which I think kept Far From Home going. Yes, um, I, I think that the, 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 the films, the Spider-Man films, lack a sense of like huge jeopardy and scale, yeah. and that's on, that's on purpose. And I think he's like. I'm just saving cats from trees yeah. and anything to help. But what I think they do have is when, you know, Tom Holland's doing Spidey stuff, he's constantly being like, oh my God, uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, just put you over here. Uh, and you know, that's sort of really heartwarming to yeah. be like, he is literally figuring out how to be a Superman. Yeah. And we already know the Spider-Man he will eventually become. Sure. But isn't it nice to look into the brain of someone who like, literally just cannot wait to get started and is also terrified and actually really bad at doing the things that, that matter. Yeah, I agree. That, that's, a, that's a really good point, actually. Um, Anyway, so John Watts next, after he's, so he's done this Spider-Man trilogy, what's he doing next? He's doing an untitled George Clooney and Brad Pitt uh, film, oh. reuniting the Ocean's uh, Eleven duo. It follows two lone wolf fixers who are, assi who are assigned to the same job. That's all I know about from okay. IMDb. But Julia Roberts will be in it. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, Do you see the trailer for George Clooney and Julia Roberts' uh, sort no, of comedy? No, no. They're filming in Australia. Right. Yeah, it's there. Okay. I, just, I just always want to see George Clooney and stuff. Okay, so then we have Thor Ragnarok, which brings Taika Waititi into the brand reboot of uh, Thor. Look, we, we've talked about Taika Waititi and Thor a lot in our Thor Love and Thunder review. review. Go check that out. All I want to say is when talking about Taika Waititi, as ever, is please check out Boy, which is a film mm. he made in 2010. Really love it. I don't think it was his first film. I think his first film was a thing called Eagle vs. Shark. But Boy is great. Hunt for the Wilder People is, is great too. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit is fine. I think a lot of people hated Jojo Rabbit. I think I kind of it. My biggest problem with Jojo Rabbit, it was not necessarily the film, it was the way it was marketed. And they kept saying that it was a satire. Yeah. And it's 
it's not a satire. It's it's just not. That's not what the humour is in it. It's not like the producers. It's not I like we're going to skew the bureaucracy of the Nazis. We're not going to. No, it's everything is is aloof and buffoonery. It's not. It's not an actual it has satire. Has larger than life, like larger than life performances at the centre. But yes. what it deals with is not satire at all. It's, it's very satirical point. It's very it, true. It, it, that really bothered is, me. Yeah. This was. It's not. Um, yeah. It's not the producers or, or something like that. Um, Anyway, so go check out Boy. Go check out Boy. But, but just, just reiterate, like, because if people haven't listened to that, Ragnarok very much completely rebooted Thor, completely like yes. rewrote the entire tone and voice of that character. Very successful. And, and very much needed and very successful. And I think after that, people were, it, it, as we said, it was a James Gunn influence for the comedy mm. in, in the beginning, but it, it has leaned furthermore yes. into that style of comedy, that style of yeah. uh, setup punchline. And, and, uh, and, sort of and he, is, he is the leading uh, in terms of like celebrity director of the MCU. Yeah. Like he is the one that goes on the talk shows. Like he's the most involved director, I find, yeah. on the interview circuit. Most of them, are, even the Russos are quite shy and like, you know. And it's the first uh, director who I feel like his voice really bled into the performances. Yes. Like he, if you've watched yeah. his style of comedy, if you've seen like what we do in the shadows, you can tell like yes. that kind of uh, the the awkward pause came straight into Thor Ragnarok. So, um, I mean, Taika Waititi's got a lot of projects. He produces a lot of stuff. He appears in a lot of stuff as an actor, but he's next directing... Um, gig is called next goal wins comes out in 2023 it's an adaptation of the 2014 british documentary which is the story of the american samoa soccer team who suffered the worst loss in world cup history losing to australia 31 nil in 2001 right, right okay. it's got an interesting cast it's got elizabeth moss reese darby who's you know works for cycle tt a lot says so rachel house um will arnett and he's back michael fassbender Oh, where the hell is Michael Fassbender been? I know. So he's actually he's had kids, but you know, I'm sure he's like, yeah, he's like, he got married to Mr. Yeah. Canada. So great. That I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be funny. That seems like that film where like the humor is appropriate and like that kind of that feels like a very Taika Waititi story. So yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that. And he's doing. He's got a Star Wars trilogy to do. I don't know if he signed on for three, but he's well. He's yes, doing that. I haven't that that that. He's talked about it in I, interviews. Next Gold Wins is like in the can, but like, right, yes, yeah. so he's got the Star Wars thing coming up because he did just, that thing with Natalie Portman, yeah. Yes, yeah, he did the thing with Natalie Portman, but he um, he's talked about, people have been asking him, like, what are you going to do? And obviously he can't say what he's going to do, but he's made a very clear distinction being like, saying, you know, I spoke to the Star Wars people who were in charge of protecting the story and he started throwing around ideas and he realised, I don't want to do... A, a master's in Star Wars for the amount of research I'd have to yeah. do to write a story. So I'm just going to do something completely new. Nice. He's like, I don't know more about this than the fans do. And I'm going to be called out for being ignorant for trying to make something that touches anything that's happened. So yeah. I'll just do something completely different. Nice. I like that. Which, which that's like, what it needs. Refreshing. I, I how good it's going to be, but I'm glad that he's just going to go, new slate, no more Skywalkers. Let's go. Next director. In 2018, we get Black Panther, which is, of course, Huge. directed by Ryan Coogler. Yeah, one of the biggest films of, of all time. I remember and also, Jimmy Kimmel at the Oscars was being like, it doesn't matter what we talk about because yeah. Black Panther is destroying us all in the box yeah, office yeah, yeah. right now. Um, so Ryan Coogler um, had made kind of two prominent films before. Fruitvale Station with it. Michael B. Jordan, uh, which is the story of a guy who was killed uh, by police uh, on New Year's Eve, I think in 2009, and it was, it's about his last day alive. Um, uh, yeah, it was the last day of his life. I, I haven't seen that, but I, I, you know, it's been on like my Netflix watch list for, for such a long time. And Michael B. Jordan's one that kind of launched him and made him aware of people, that Chronicle yeah. and Creed. And well, that was Ryan Coogler's next film, Creed, yeah. you know, the Rocky Balboa brand reboot, which I quite like, you know. Is that 2018? Or that that was out? 2015 for Creed. Yeah, before, right. And then... Uh, Creed 2 came out in 2018, but not directed by Ryan Coogler, because Ryan Coogler is busy directing Black, Black Panther. Panther. Right. Black Panther is fine, but 
Uh, for, for me, it's fine, but I recognize like it's loved by so many people, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's not for me, but whatever. It's, it's literally, it's not for me. Uh, I, I didn't like the CG fight at the end. For the Too rhinos. CG. Yeah. No, like when you know when uh, oh, the Michael train. Jordan and oh, Chadwick Boseman yeah. are just like in a in a yeah. screen screen mess, just punching each other. Punches didn't hit, didn't land. So I should thud. I want to hear a thud. Yeah. I want to see skin ripple. So Ryan Coogler's directing and uh, sorry, producing a lot of interesting projects as well. Um, really interesting guy. His next film, because there's the thing we previously we were talking about directors who made films like ten years ago. We're talking about mm. you know Captain America the, the first yeah. one. This is we're at the point now where the directors have kind of finished their Marvel projects. Like okay, what's next? What have I gonna? What am I gonna springboard into? So obviously Ryan Coogler, sorry, Black Panther two, Wakanda Forever is coming out later this year. And he's doing that. Yeah, he's done that. So that'll be shot now, right? Or be shot. I'm like, sorry, so Brian Coogler's next film is called Wrong Answer. It's about a math teacher in Atlanta, USA, who is scandalized when he looks to get funding for his school by altering his students' test scores. Uh, only one person in the cast so far, far, which is Michael B. Jordan, who he's worked with right. on all of his projects so far. So great. I, lo- I love a good director. Scorsese De Niro. You know I love a good director-actor relationship, and that's something maybe we can explore in another episode yes. about best partnerships be- between on-screen and off-screen. I reckon... Um, uh, Kaylouia and Jordan Peele is another one that's uh, oh Danny Kaylouia yeah, yeah yeah interesting so looking forward to, to Nope as well by the mm. way if you're an American listener it's already the been released for out. you guys but for UK it's I been pushed it's back till mid August mid August yeah bear Madness. with us we Madness. are definitely going to watch it can't wait okay after Ryan Coogler you get a couple of other people returning Russo's Peyton Reed and then we get then you get uh, Infinity War and Ant Man of the Wasp which are directed by directors we would talked about and then you get Captain Marvel in 2019 which is directed by Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck now. These are, when we talked about John Watch, like, mm. oh, Spider-Man drawing heavily on uh, an indie film director. Mm. These guys are proper indie film directors, which I always think is strange that they're doing something like Captain Marvel then. Yeah. And it might be why the fact that Captain Marvel didn't land for a lot of people. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine, but it didn't, it lacked a certain direction and a, cer- and a certain sense of like who, what, what it wanted to be and it what it was. Also, I wished it hadn't come out the time it did. It was in between Infinity War and Endgame. And I yes. thought the ending of Infinity War was such a good yes. little period stop. I wish they had just let everything breathe yeah. and then come back with Endgame. Like you have my attention. Yeah. You have the whole I know, world's attention. She was in, Cause she was in Endgame. I know. Yeah, I know. I, and it, you could have done that before. Also when Captain Marvel was being marketed, it looked very much like it was just playing up the same things that Wonder Woman had done two years before. Yes. Wonder Woman had come in and been very successful. And it was like, okay. It uh, felt like one of those random films you got before the MCU started, like mm, the way which it was presented. Yes. I, I origin remember, story. I yeah. remember I was like, I'm really in, like Infinity War's happening. And I was in an office working and Captain Marvel was out and I was busy and hadn't had found time to see it. And I was like, should I, shouldn't I? And the guy sitting across from me also into film, uh, he had gone to see it. And I was like, how is it? And he's like, it's fine. Yeah. It's just fine. And I was like, really? And he's like, he had nothing else to say about it apart from, it's not bad. It's not good. It's fine. And I was like, huh, okay. It's saw just, it. And then I was like, yeah, it just exists. It exists. But it's just interesting. So Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, they'd made, it's kind of a funny story, which is this like very 2010 um, indie drama set in a, um, a clinic where um, the main guy, Keir Gilchrist, I think is teenager. I think he's attempted suicide. So he's in this sort of uh, treatment for five days. He's in there with Emma Roberts and Zach Kalifanakis. It's got one of those posters, which is like, dots of their faces all around. They're all smiling. It's like, it's kind of a funny story. But it's actually like, I think now would be dealt with a bit more interestingly because it's about mental health. I've seen the trailer depression. for this, definitely, yeah. 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 Um, then they make this film um, called Mississippi Grind with Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds. I wanted to see this for ages now, and I did see it eventually. And I know you're thinking, like, yeah. Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds, that seems like a big film. It's this story of uh, Ben Mendelsohn plays this gambling addict who's just like down his luck. He's running out of money. 
and um, he meets Ryan Reynolds at this um, at one time playing, and he's like, "You are someone I can't read. I can't read you at all. Let's get together. You can break my bad luck streak because you're such a wild card." Let's go down the Mississippi, hit up all the casinos and see if we can win big. And it's kind of a fun little buddy thing, a little bit of um, sadness about uh, gambling addiction in there. Also Mm. a bit of um, fun about winning and... And yeah, it's it's it, it, it's okay. I mean, I love watching those. I love watching Ben Mendelsohn. And actually, it's nice to watch Ryan Reynolds. This is like pre-Deadpool. So just before right. he like got stuck in Deadpool mode, it was nice to see him try something else. It's fine. But I was then very very surprised. Very indie sensibility films to then go into Captain Marvel, and which we've just discussed. Mm. But afterwards, I think this is like a good example. Of, of directors who have worked, done their Marvel bit, and they're like, thank you very much. We won't be back. Thanks for the money Thanks and the exposure. Thanks for the money and the exposure. We're now going to do something else. And they did this um, big, big TV series called Mrs. America, which came out in 2020. Yeah. Right. Um, which, thank, thank to lock, thanks to lockdown, I actually had time to sit down and watch <laughs> all of it. This was this, this huge ensemble uh, uh, TV series about the ERA in the 1970s America. The ERA was the Equal Rights Amendment bill this was a movement to amend the equal rights uh, uh, uh yeah the equal rights amendment to amend the, the equal rights uh, law in, in the united states to make sure that um women and men were recognized equally and therefore could get you know equal pay and all those kind of things and it follows kate blanche as the main character phyllis schlafly who was this kind of uh, conservative right-wing uh leader who um was against the era so she was a prominent woman who was against the equal rights amendment and she sort of led this movement. And then you've got these kind of two camps. And Rose Byrne plays Gloria Steinem on the other side. You have these kind of two camps fighting. One to get the ERA passed, the other one not to get it passed. And Democrats come, Republicans go. It's very interesting. You've got mm. Tracy Ullman in there. You've got um, uh, Elizabeth Banks. I'm actually going to pull the cast up so I can read it off. You've got... Kate Blanchett, Rose Byrne, Elizabeth Banks, Sarah Paulson, Tracy Ullman, Margot Martindale... John Slattery, James Marsden, uh, Melanie cast. Linsky, Gene Triplehorn, just just Adam Brody, a real real um, Adam Brody, but Jake man. Lacey, just a real Adam Brody back. bumper. I like I like Adam Brody. Yeah, I like him stuff. Anyway, he pops up. He's an actor that pops up yeah, in so loads. many yeah, random yeah. things. Like he's in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Or but something. anyway, at each episode, a different character was the main character, and they followed their sort of um, like skin journey through the yeah. <laughs> right, thank you, James. <laughs> But Mrs. America was 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 really interesting, and it, it, it's a very complicated story. The ERA, and it, and it, it was also important, in, especially in the time that it was made, to not reduce these figures like Gloria Steinem and Phyllis Schlafly into just figureheads. Like even Phyllis Schlafly, they 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 um, flesh out her role to understand what made her in so entrenched in her position, and actually how it was driven by fear. Um, uh, she was very much like a Cold War, kind of had a bunker under the house kind of thing. Anyway, really interesting series. Go check it out. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. But I was like, yeah, you've kind of... I can see in Mrs. America, the indie roots plus the Marvel budget have come together to make quite an interesting story that I don't know would have, wouldn't have been made if you hadn't had the Marvel muscle that you've just flexed yeah. having made Captain Marvel, right? That's great. That sounds great. I want to watch that. Kate Shortland is next uh, with... Black Widow, which came out last year, but obviously had been in production for many years, just delayed due to the pandemic. So Kate Shortland is an Australian, predominantly TV director before she did this. She worked on a lot of um, episodes of The Secret Life of Us, which was this kind of like seminal uh, TV series in uh, early noughties in Australia. Then she made Laura, I think it's L-O-R-E, but it's pronounced Laura, which is uh, about um, uh, Nazi-occupied France. And then she made a film called Berlin Syndrome with... um, 
uh, oh, I get her confused. She's not Blake Lively. She's not Amber Heard. She's Teresa Palmer. She's Teresa Palmer. She's not. She's not Blake Lively. She's not yes, Amber Heard. She's yes, Teresa Palmer, you know. right? And that was the story of someone who kind of like gets kidnapped in Berlin. Never saw it. I heard it was quite a good lock-in. And then she comes in with Black Widow, which we mm. talked about on a separate episode. And I think us and most people were like, pretty, eh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty limp. Again, pretty ropey action sequences. No one dies in that film. Another prop film where no one dies really or gets injured. Really unrewarding villain reveal. Yeah, you, you had a masked villain. And the reveal was more boring yeah. than than it should have been. Died, yeah. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. It could be you could have you know Marvel, you could have brought anyone onto yeah. that mask. So boring. Someone who's also couldn't speak. You know, Ray Winston just um I I can't even yeah. I don't think it's Ray Winston's fault. I'm like, if you book Ray Winston, you know that he can only do one one accent. Bet in play now. Yeah, bet in play now. Yeah. You don't get him to do I'm a Russian oligarch. Anyway. Uh, cool, cool falling down scene where everyone's falling. No, I didn't fight. like that at all. That I bit. thought it was fine, but a I bit just, where Florence Pugh bored. basically explodes and she's absolutely fine. Please oh, don't nice. spare me. Uh, and then, uh, then just sorry afterwards, it became really bitter about Scarlett Johansson skirts uh, suing the MCU yes. for yeah, the yeah, suing, suing Disney for the. It got re- released on Disney Plus early, didn't it? Yes. And then she, her, a lot of her pay was meant to be on the box office success. And yeah. anyway, and Kate Shulman has no projects in development, but. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's I don't you don't see I don't see any sort of directorial hand in and also sorry we were very switched off in, uh, to watching Black Widow because spoilers yeah. for Infinity War, uh, Endgame is that Scarlett Johansson dies yeah. uh, so you didn't really feel like there was any way this no jeopardy no nothing, yeah. yeah I was sort of I was, I was hoping they weren't going to have a time machine come through and be like we got to save you from dying do a Loki right you know oh, yeah yeah uh, but they didn't and it just was a bit late for that story. Okay, uh, next up is Destin Daniel Cretton with Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Right. Okay. Destin Daniel Cretton, have you ever seen Short Term 12? No. Short Term 12 is a really good, interesting indie film that kind of broke out the festival circuit in like 2013. It was Brie Larson's first lead role. And when you look at the poster, when you look at the description, you're like, this seems like classic indie fodder. It's set at a... Um, uh, 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 not it's not ju- you know it's not juvie it's not juvenile delinquent center but it's a lot of teenagers who are who get sent there for you know bad behavior yeah i guess i guess it is ju- juvenile detention center and um yeah it's got the kind of hallmarks of like oh i guess it's going to be like you know bonding a bit of community over over conflict and that is there and you've got these troubled children troubled teenagers um and you've got the staff and it's about their relationship it's got the most before they were famous cast i've oh, ever really? seen like who brie larson yeah. obviously would go on to win an oscar rami malik oh, it's wow. just like like fifth billing is just a guy who like works there um stephanie beatrice from brooklyn 99 um caitlin dever from Booksmart. Lakeith Samfield, who's in everything now, yeah. you know, from Get Out and Atlanta. Um, and you're watching, you're like, oh, him. Oh, him. Oh, he's in it. Oh, she's in it. Anyway, um, but actually, Short Term 12 is, uh, is, is really solid and manages to, like, not only have its foot in the indie, indie kind of genre like that, but actually break out and actually make you care about what, what's happening. And it doesn't lean into the tropes too much. There's no sort of, you know what? Let's just drive to sunset and set ourselves free. There's not actually any of that. It really takes time to understand the issues affecting these children and, and, and why they've come to behave the way they do. And it was informed by Cretton's real experience working in that. So it's incredibly personal and you, and you can really see that. Then he made something called The Glass Castle with Brie Larson again, um, which was kind of a sort of, I didn't, I didn't get massive release with Woody Harrelson. And then he made Just Mercy, which is again uh, with Michael B. Jordan. 
story about uh, it's, a, it's a death row uh, true, based on true story and you know you can kind of see there um, the kind of uh, social what am I looking for like the social issue angle in all, all of his ones yeah. kind of um, but then you get Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. You're like, okay. Flying red rings. Flying red rings. And I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to work out where short-term 12 um, figures into this. And it doesn't really. Let's be honest. Okay, like... like, (laughs) As long as you can sit here and try and find the link. I feel like he gave it a good shot and it was very fun. I don't don't look at Shang-Chi as like a failed exercise in the same way as Black Widow is. No. I just think it's... I, I found it a bit ineffectual i feel like we're almost we're past that kind of film now watch it and then you're done and yeah. in and out yeah so you know the lead guy great you know charismatic charismatic and the, the lead girl i can't remember her name but those two together yeah, yeah they're I okay like I know, a little bit too much but but, but yeah but, too much but, but i enjoyed them but it's fine um but i'm interested to know what he's doing next and he's doing a thing called scenes for minors which is interesting because it relates to another director we were talking about so scenes for minors is a tv series that he's working on with ryan coogler from black panther mm-hmm. and also another um screenwriter called um chinaka hodge and it's based on cretin's experience working in residential foster care like with short term 12 Kugler's East Bay area upbringing and time working in a juvenile detention facility. That's cool. And Hodge's experience teaching underserved youth in Bay Area continuation schools and her 15 years of working with local youth. So drawing all those influences, two Marvel movie directors there, I really look forward to seeing um, what that TV series becomes. Okay, next up with Eternals. Now, you and I have talked about Eternals. That's another film we didn't... Well, look, uh, I I don't... You you really didn't like it. Yeah, And I thought it was passable, but that's because I, you know... I didn't go to the cinema and see it. I let myself do... I, I controlled the explosion and watched it on a TV in the afternoon. So yeah. my, so what, what it took away from me was limited. It could yeah. never rob me of money in the same way that going, to the, that going to the cinema would rob me of an evening. Whereas in my evening with Eternals, five times during the film, I went... <sighs> Right, yeah. That's what that's the byline of my review. But that was really interesting because you had this huge sort of space opera, galactic gods. Time hopping, boom, boom, universe boom. spinning. But it's directed by Chloe Zhao, whose films, including Nomad The Rider Land. and Nomadland, yeah. are incredibly grounded, intimate, often feature non-actors performing. Like The Rider is about a, um, a cowboy, sorry, a horse rider who has a near-fatal accident and it kind of changes his whole career because he can't ride properly anymore. And it's with a proper, you know, it's, it, that's basically this guy's story that she's just kind of weaved into a, into a fiction. And the same with Nomadland. Obviously, it's got Frances McDormand in it and David Strathairn, but the characters we meet are real people that are just kind of nudged and influenced into a narrative. Mm. I love Nomadland. I thought, I thought it was really beautiful. Uh, I, really I found that with <laughs> Eternals, less about Chloe Zhao, more just the film, is that... A lot of the times with Marvel, I go, oh, film, can't wait to see them again. And with Eternals, I'm like, I saw those characters, I go, yeah, and? Yeah. You know what? I, just, I do think actually, like that's been happening Whenever I times. see another Marvel film now, I'm like, so they're just out there, are they? They're just are, are we expecting them to come back at some point? Do, we have, do I now have to pretend that, that this universe now contains those people? It's going to be a scene where all of them and Shang-Chi are all uh, kind of, I, I guess. Yeah. I don't care. You know what I was also wondering is that we know that they're casting X-Men, the Marvel's X-Men, Right, right now, that. and that's going to be a thing. They'll leave behind the McAvoy Fassbender-verse. But I, I don't understand how mutants and superheroes can exist in the same universe. Do you know how I would do it? Because mutants are the superheroes in that. I uh, guess you can, they have time and dimensions right now. I would now, do it like this. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the good idea. Everyone gather around. Here's my thoughts of how they could maybe do X-Men in the MCU, right? right. And it's like the storyline where 
there's just people on the run and, 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 and the bad things are happening. They're attributing to this group called mutants, right? So they rebooted like Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man didn't exist Yeah, yeah, before. they rebooted. They were totally X-Men rebooted. just existing And it's, now. it's like almost like a breakaway, like a terrorist organization or, or um, and it's like, who are these people? And then you have to follow the trail, this trail of death and destruction. And then the twist is when you get to the end, it's like, wait, these people not just have powers but they're actually being hunted themselves and they're conflicted and you realize oh my god they're part of a bigger conspiracy and because that's what the whole thing with the mutants is right yeah it's like they are victims themselves so maybe i don't know someone's on the trail and it's like no these people aren't bad they've been set up and they're actually mistreated it's this like subgroup of pe- superhuman people so who really been, redo it um, not like how traditional x-men that, like some of the biggest most powerful people in the world have all been linked to the mutants and like presidents and kind yeah. of maybe like some sort of just like spin-off like conspiracy about it maybe I can hear the fury of all the comic book fans now saying, That's actually not what I was going to do. What are you They'll use the time stone to blow So, I don't know. It's just a thought. <laughs> anyway, um, I digress. So, Either way, we're getting it. Back to Chloe Zhao a second, though. As we were. Yeah, so when you watch Eternals, you don't really see any of that. Although you, what you do see is, like, shot in real locations. Yes. It's very much outside. It's got, like, natural light. Five I do, minutes from here. I admire her, her determination to put her voice or what is essentially a massive bit of space garbage. Like, I really admire that. And I kind of think... It is a bit. Like, with the Titan, like, yes. speaking to... It's I, kind of, I kind of hope now that this hasn't burnt her too much and, it's, and, and she can go off and continue to make really great art, which is what, which, what she's been doing. I've no doubt on her as a great filmmaker. No, no, as well. That's the thing. It's like, as a director, you can almost subcompartmentalize your Marvel projects, but, regardless of how well it does, and be like, yeah, but you but know, the you machine. See, but you see the inconsistency with someone like, um, okay... Like the Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck with Captain Marvel, I couldn't see their their stamp yeah. on that film. But at least with the Eternals, I can see Chloe Zhao in there. I can see her trying to do something. Is that better? Is it worse? Is do you just switch it off? I don't know. Do you think if you're Kevin Feige and Louis Desposito, right, you're the big bigs at Marvel, do you almost want to not bring in directors that have too much of an established personality and voice? Well, totally because they're gonna wanna brand completely clash. hijack it. Yeah. And you actually want someone who's hod off their second or third film yes. that people are talking who's- about. Influence, influenceable. Yes, who's more malleable. You can offer them lots of money, lots of exposure, but they do have to kind of tie the party line. Toe the party line. Toe the party line. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I do know what you Maybe, mean. Maybe it's just, just completely. Well, that's why. That's why I thought with, like when, 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 when they said, oh, like, oh, Quentin Tarantino had come up with a Star Trek film. I was like, that's good. But the main challenge there is getting an audience to rationalize a Star Trek film, what they think of what Star Trek is, and what they think of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, it's like that's a massive. It's like a it's like a, um, a crossover movie, two it's, universes together. It's mind-boggling, but fuck, I want it. Yeah, and Do I, 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 mean? I don't know if they're doing it. I don't know I if they're doing it. I don't think so. Well, only got one more film. But yeah, okay. He says. Anyway, it's all last marketing. of all, last of all. It's like, sorry, it's like Elton John saying it's his last ever tour. And then he's going on three more yeah, yeah, tours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, last of all, Sam Raimi with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes. You and I have talked about Doctor Strange too. Twice. But... Sam Raimi, of course, draws not only on horror influences with the Evil Dead, but like also slapstick comic, um, very practical um, effects with, with with Evil Dead. You kind of have the superhero thing with Dark Man as well. And then he does the Spider Man trilogy. One of the best scenes. He also in- does, do you know he also did Oz the Great and Powerful? Very very forgettable. Oh, and I think that was Mila the Kunis. yeah. And then he came back. That was his previous film, and then he came back with Doctor Strange. 
Uh, it's, it's interesting about you know Sam Raimi horror influence on on the superhero films he's done because in Doctor Strange two I found that didn't quite fit in with Marvel. I felt it slightly incongruous. Where, where, to the I story. thought it was the one redeeming feature. So there we go. And then in interestingly in the his Tobey Maguire Spider Man trilogy, one of the best scenes in that entire trilogy is in Spider Man two when Doctor Octopus is he's sort of passed out and he's in hospital and the doctors are about to amputate his metal arms and there's this amazing scene where. Um, Alfred Molina is still asleep, but the arms are awake and are basically like fighting all of these nurses and doctors. And it's the most incredibly cut horror scene. And like, there's cams where like the POV of the of the arm is like going around and killing people, right. and people are getting like dragged and their nails are dragging across the floor. It's this it's this 45 second moment where the blade is about to come down wow. on the arm, and just chaos ensues. It's one it's one of the best put together scenes, and it's it is pure Sam Raimi. Definitely go back and watch it. If I you really. It's, a hidden gem, and then Alfred Molina escapes from the hospital. I really Brilliant. don't know those films at all. Oh, I yeah, really, a, really don't. Spider-Man 2, the one you haven't seen, or you have seen? I haven't really seen. I've only seen Spider-Man 3, really. Oh, I, I saw Spider-Man 2 once, probably 20 years I'm ago. I'm going to show you that scene once we're done, because you'll see exactly what I mean. Okay. It's, a, it's a gem of the uh, Maguire Spider-Man well, series. But I, that, that's when, sorry, that's when Sam Raimi's Homeless Horror stuff was like yeah, a perfect sure. injection in that film. Well, I, I like it when you can see a director putting a little bit of their touch yeah. in it, and that's what I did like about it, it, in the Multiverse of Madness, okay? I, I appreciated that being there. Anyway, then we have most recently, obviously, Taika Waititi, again, with Thor, Love and Thunder. But look, that, that's the MCU. And I know this has been a bit, been a bit of a... That's the MCU. And I know this has been a bit of an exhaustive exercise. But we really wanted just to show that directors are drawn from a massive pool and they bring so much talent and different things to the MCU, which sometimes is apparent and sometimes isn't seen, mm. but can then actually launch them into more interesting projects afterwards as well. I enjoyed that. I got a really good context through the entire journey of where everyone's come from, who the different people that have come in, the different types of directors they've brought Very in different recently. Types. Interesting to see now Marvel is doing what it's doing, whether mm. it's kind of coasting on Endgame fumes, where the directors they bring in. Are, like Based on our conversation we just had, I'll be interested to see if they bring in someone who's much bigger than the people they currently have, or whether or not they're quite happy getting people at this earlier stage Define of their career. Exactly, I don't know. No, well, obviously, well, it won't be Nolan or Cameron, too big, too, too busy. No, but... That's a good question. Like, what, do I, also, what will actually Because want? also, a bit like referring to some of the correspondence <clears throat> we've had, because Marvel has such a chokehold on upcoming talent. It's like, who is a big director who hasn't gone through the Marvel system? Who's made it as a big like successful they could, director? They could get someone like Matthew Vaughn in, who's done X-Men, Kingsman. Like that's sure. what I'd say. He's very well established yeah. in that space. Sure. Would they Would they even be interested? Or would Matthew Vaughn even Guy be interested? Guy Ritchie. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think Guy Ritchie's Guy a Ritchie. strong enough act, um, good, strong enough director to pull it off. But he's done blockbusters, and yeah. I, actually, he's I don't like. I don't know what. Sorry, I don't want to see that. I don't no, want to see the yeah, Guy Ritchie Marvel film. But do you know what my point is? It's like who I, actually there, is there? Directors are of a certain generation who made it before Marvel, right? Who are the directors now, up and coming, who have made it big enough to be established names who haven't gone through the Marvel system? Joseph Kaczynski. You could see that would be a big name that after would be, Top Gun. Yes, uh, I would say, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a very good shout. But he might be like, I'm done. I've, I've done my big blockbuster. I'm sure he got a percent of Top Gun Maverick and is sitting pretty cozy. I'd rather work the blockbusters I want to do are Tom Cruise ones or like yeah. or original IP. <laughs> you can probably probably off Top Gun Maverick, he can go right. I want to make another action film that's not yeah. pre-existing. Hmm. Yeah. No, who knows? How do we define like success that isn't that? But anyway, but not yes, JJ. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe go back to JJ again. That's such a. He's like the guy that reboots the stuff. Yeah. yeah, you bring him in to sort of save the day and tie it all up. We'll have to see. Um, 
That was great. And if you didn't, if you did miss our part one, we did go, go the first it. half. If you like this and you wanted to hear about the earlier, are side, there, go yeah. back and are there any directors that. that you really feel were like done a disservice by Marvel, or you really want to see in the Marvel? Yeah, who would you like who to would you, see? Yeah, who would you like to see direct some stuff? So let us know. That was the MCU directors part two. Part two. Thank you. Right, let's read some emails. Let's do it. Uh, thank you very much for writing into the show. Don't forget, if you want to write into the show and have your question read out, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just like George did. Not you, George. Different George. Hey, I rewatched George. Deer Hunter the other day. Have you spoken about John Cazale yet? Um, we haven't spoken we about haven't John, John Cazale. Cazale. Interesting one, because John Cazale is a very interesting actor um, who only appeared in five feature films, but they were all nominated for Best Picture. They were Godfather, yep. Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter, and um, The Conversation. This is like, that's great. I'll just call it. Yeah. Like God, well, he died. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so he, he didn't quit. He, 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 he sadly died very young at 42 of cancer. He was uh, in a relationship with Mel Streep at the time. Um, and they were, you know, it was very close. And it was very sad. And, but he, he, he's great. And he, you know, he, he wasn't a lead in any of these, but he's, he brings that kind of. If you see any of those films, he kind of brings that nervous, sweaty 70s energy, which I really yeah, like. That's such a thing. He's got such a 70s face and such a 70s disposition. Like, oh, God, you know, whether he's being Fredo mm. and he's being Fredo. I can't quite remember his character exactly in The Deer Hunter. I've only seen that once. Conversation, he's, again, a small part, but plays it very well. Dog Day Afternoon, I need to rewatch as well. But but yeah, he, uh, he, has, he has like, he's like, John Cazale, five movies, all great. And that was it. A thing to do, like, maybe for another episode when we do an editorial, where it's like, actors you could watch, like, all the actors whose all of their films, like, chances are they're good. Like, they have great Who's got the picks. strongest filmography? The strongest I'm pretty filmography. sure we've had a correspondence about that. Yeah. Well, we, we need to, like, pitch each other whose filmography. Like, worst comes to worst. If I, I just was, choose yeah. this actor's filmography and throw a dart, you're going to find a really good Yeah, I think, film. I, I think we, we might, I'm pretty sure we got an email about that, but let's think about that We should more. do that. Like actors who've just got a, a yeah. stellar uh, list uh, of films. Yeah, who, whose filmography you can bank on. We also got someone, it was about actors who have a very mixed filmography. Right. With highs and lows. Okay. I think someone used Jake Gyllenhaal as an example. Oh yeah, what are the highs of Jake and the yeah. lows of Jake? Yes, sure, I get it. This next one is from Jasmine. Jasmine writes into the show and she says, hi, I've only listened to a few of your podcasts so far in block caps. Okay. I'm listening to the Top Gun review currently, but I'm slightly perplexed by the glossing over of George having not ever seen Titanic. <laughs> Excuse me. I didn't know people like that existed. Is this phenomenon <laughs> analyzed in another podcast? Because it really should be PS Top Gun Maverick eight out of 10. Yeah, um, okay. So she does, she does uh, go on to say something else, but George, do you want to address the, the Titanic thing quickly? Oh, yeah. look, I, I think we did talk about you it, addressed I it, think it I very think, early on, very in the early days. Here's the thing about Titanic. I think I grew up in an anti-Titanic household, which is that Titanic was on. It was clearly rented. You had a flag with like the sewer, the Titanic and an X outside your front porch. Um, And I think my parents, I think particularly my dad was like, no way. This is so stupid. So silly. Ridiculous. Also, And it's three hours long. And it's three hours long that it was like, we're turning that off. We're never watching it. And then I, I, as a result, I never, I never engaged. I never saw it. I occasionally see clips of, you know, the uh, come up and suggested on YouTube, like, oh, the the sinking scene. But I've never sat down and watched it. Leonardo DiCaprio, like, 
flicking his hair as he draws. Yep. Yeah. If you say Fun so. Fun fact, that's James Cameron's hands in the close-up of the uh, of oh, the right. actual drawing. James oh, Cameron right. is drawing. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, cool. Okay, yeah. well, we can get Leo's that day. Yeah. <laughs> Leo's hands can't act. His whole body can't, yeah. his hands yeah. can't. Um, so Titanic, no, sorry, carry on. It's also genera- generationally, it's it came out at a time where like people our age would have seen it at that. We were too growing young. Up. To, uh, too, so I remember specifically, I, I had to close my eyes during the car scene. Oh, right, yes. It's like, James, James right. look away, and I'd go like, Huh. And I didn't uh, understand why I couldn't see, but yeah. I, I listened. How old were you when you watched? When, when do you remember an age when you watched something you were like, "I'm probably a bit too young for this." Ooh, um, uh, Goldeneye with oh, really? Pierce Brosnan, and there's a really intense sex scene with I can't remember her name. Well, he kills her. She she kills him. Yes, it's with Famke, many. You know, no, they're Fam- in the sauna. Yeah, Famke yeah, Janssen. Famke, that's Famke Janssen kills the guy. No, 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 but they have a really they have this really like violent sex. No, where, like, no, they're trying no, to kill each you other. Conflated, you conflated two things. There's a bit where she kills a guy that she's sleeping with. Yes. And then separate to that, she tries, she to, tries kill to kill Bond. James Bond in a sauna. That's it. That's it, the scene. Sexual, but it's not, se- they're not having sex. It's no. sexual attack. Yeah. And it's like the legs around she's the like neck. biting his lip. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's yeah. strange. Yes. So I, that, I remember seeing that and being like, this is so confusing. What is this <laughs> thing that people <laughs> do? I was terrified. I was like, what, what the hell is going like on? Six or something. Uh, I don't know. If, I, think, I think it would have been on TV. When right. I, wa- when oh, I watched right. it, okay, yeah. so I used to watch loads of. My dad used to right. rip uh, VHS tapes of James Bond. Oh, we were on TV constantly. Used to do the old record, I used to have. Yeah. I remember having like ten James Bond Hand-written VHS labels. Hand-written labels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a moment! Yeah. Uh, and I would go through and watch them. And be like, this is so good. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, why are they attacking? Yeah. yeah. I think um, <laughs> first time I have sex, I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> my lips. Um, I think mine would be not that you asked, but I'm going to answer. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Sorry, go on. Um, I think I remember. Uh, Basically, I you know what you know, I talked to a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I I used to watch those best movies of all time. Yes, There's, Tree of Life. The one that really <laughs> used to the one that used to stick out to me was The Shining, right? Mm. And for ages, I was like, I really want to watch The Shining because I'd seen it parodied in The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, right? And I referenced, yeah, I'd seen reference of it in pop culture. And my 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 dad and my parents were like, no, no, no. And I was like, no, I really, really want to see it. Like, and they're like, and they hadn't seen it. My parents, they were like. Uh, no, not really. I was like, no, no, but I really. Anyway, I just wore them down and wore them down until I think I was eight, yeah. maybe nine, and I saw it come on to Sky Movies in like it was on school holidays, and I was like, it's on, and we're watching it. And they were like, oh, fine. Anyway, then we sit down to watch it. Little film I get enthusiast, about, George. I get about twenty minutes in, and like the twin, I've already had the blood out the the, the thing, right? Yeah. And I've got the twins in the in the in the corridor, right? I see that. And after that, I'm just, I go very quiet. Mm. I go completely silent. And they're like, George, do you want to, should, should we watch, do you want to watch the nest then? And I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. So that's, that's different to not being scared for the first time. Because I remember watching Ghostbusters and being really scared. Right, yeah. And I think maybe I was a bit too young. I had to go watch Toy Story afterwards. I remember that. And I saw <laughs> Rick Moranis getting eaten by the demon dog outside yeah, the glass it is restaurant. Quite a lot, Ghostbusters for a kid. Um, and then... Um, and then, but then, but yeah. So the shining was the first one. I, I think I I was like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm reaching. Down. It's like I want to watch a film, and I realized I've I've reached too much there. I was really scared of signs when I first watched it. Cause that's scary for a yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah, as a kid, that was yeah. scary. Not so much now. Then a follow up question: Do either of you have the IMDb or Letterboxd app? What do you think about ratings by critics? What do you think about ratings by critics, audiences, so Rotten Tomatoes, etc.? Maybe you could talk about films that have a really low ratings or lower ratings, but are amazing films. A great example is Cat in the Hat. It has a Rotten Tomato percent of, uh, rating of 9%. <laughs> Shocking, in my opinion. Like I said, I'm only on, the, on your most recent episodes, but this may have already been covered. Uh, uh, Jasmine, it has been covered. George does have Letterboxd. We don't have a Pop Kitchen one, but yeah. if you look in the link in the YouTube, I don't know if you're a listener or a viewer, we link to the Letterboxd, yeah. and you can have a look at... Um, 
George's yeah. letterboxed. But in terms of um, ratings, ratings yeah. and sort of Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, right. where do you stand on I, those kinds of things? Well, I, it's funny. Um, I, I think you have to take everything with a pinch of salt and you always need to have your own like spreadsheet in your mind that could like yeah. gets like an average out of all of them. So I have someone who like, goes by IMDb a lot and I've had to say to them like no IMDb is, is, is great but it's, it's it's made it's voted for by like punters like anyone can anyone can vote for it right that's, why, you get, that's why the Dark review. Knight is up there at like 9.9 I'm not saying the Dark Knight's a bad film but it's just like you get um, whereas even Letterboxd I think is a slightly more specific more niche uh, uh, crowd yeah. so if I see um, something that's over 4, 4.0 on Letterboxd I'm like that's okay that, that's high yeah. and then I'll cross reference that with what's it got on IMDB okay is it, is it over over a 7 okay that's interesting and what's it got on Rotten Tomatoes okay it's got over you know 70 okay those together form a picture that this might be worthwhile right yeah. however Rotten Tomatoes the less reviews it has the higher the 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 um, score but usually if you know if you take a relatively good film right so if it has like five good reviews yeah it's gonna have like 90 percent like but it could have a hundred ways things more good reviews it'd be 70 percent right yeah um and there was that whole thing about like fake reviews and there the reviews being bought and like campaigns against other films on bottom yeah um yeah so in other in, in, to answer your question ratings i think you, you almost need to have your own one in your head but also go with your gut feeling just still watch a film regardless. Like, there was a film I really was intrigued by called Vox Lux, okay? Yeah. Have you seen it? No, but I've heard you talk about it a lot. Okay. Have, have I talked about it on this show? Mm, maybe brought up. Maybe, maybe, but maybe. Please was go it ahead. one of those times where you and I talk when we're not recording? No. Do we, have, do, we do that anymore? anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so Vox Lux was this film with Natalie Portman and it has a really intriguing premise. It's like it begins in like the 90s and there's a high school shooting. And I'm like, high school shooting? What? Mm. And this uh, one of the girls UK. survives. And she get, at the eulogy, she like sings this beautiful ballad, and it, it catapults her onto like the, the road to stardom. And then it cuts to the present day, and she's Natalie Portman. She's like a massive pop star. And I'm like, whoa, that sounds really interesting. Got a bit of fame, bit of America, mm. celebrity violence. Okay, what's going on there? Anyway, Letterbox score bad, IMDb score bad, Rotten Tomato score bad. But stick with your gut and watch it, mm. and I and watch it, and I did. It's a shocking film. It's really, really bad. <laughs> it's, it's a mess, but I'm glad I watched it. You need to see these things. You need to see what's yeah. bad and what doesn't work. If you don't, you know, listen to your own instinct with something. Um, what I will just say as well, when you and start form about- your own opinion and then go if you watch something yes. without reading a thousand reviews, yes. actually form your own impression yes. of it. And then then you can be confirmed by what someone else has said. The, or like, oh, I disagree. And that's what makes you a better yeah. consumer of art, content, literature. The, the idea that when people say, oh, um, I use reviews to determine which films I should go see. In yeah. a way, for me, it's very outdated. Like the 90s, like Sistel and Eber. It's mm. like, no, go with what film you want to see. And then afterwards, engage with the reviews as a way of like joining the discussion, right? Yeah. Like come to it afterwards. Um, just a little thing when they mentioned about um, Cat in the Hat. Um, yeah, I just checked. And the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas has got 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. Cancel out. the website. Get out. Are you mad? Scandalous. That is a 90 plus. I think that's a 90 plus. I'd accept maybe an 89. Perhaps it's not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, we will talk about this more at Christmas, but The Grinch. How I think the Grinch we rewatched Christmas. The Grinch and do it scene by scene. Yeah, we just, I just alphabetically. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I think I think uh, Lena's Metacritic Rotten Tomatoes is like all things in the internet. It suits to 
show the extremes of each side. So I feel like films that have the most ratings will either be in the 20-30% or the 90%. And I reckon there's a bunch of films in the middle that yeah. are like 60-70% that are actually not very accurate because I don't think people rate the films, yes. which is 60-70%. Soft middle. You either get films that people like really want to down downvote. Yeah. Like there's a huge fan base that like maybe really wants to let everyone know that The Last Jedi is bad, as an right. example. I don't know what the rating is. Yeah. But I feel like... 98 percent more it's like is it that yes, good yeah. and also like we're attributing a numerical almost scientific value to something that's artistic which i, know, I find I on the whole quite like what does it mean to be 92 percent is that one percent better than 93 percent i know no i don't and also like even letterbox like you have personal ratings as well so i i, I do sometimes i do mostly rate per, on letterbox my yes. things out of out of five and you can do like 4.5 and 3.5 yeah um but i think i recognize that's very personal to me yeah I'm like you know it's your, it's i know i know thing. what a three star my i know what my three star qualifies yeah. as and i know what my four star qualifies but if i see someone give it five star that's by their own metric it's yeah. a different thing and people think that if something gets 10 stars or 10 out sorry five stars or 10 out of 10 that's not perfect no it just means it represents the best of what cinema is right yeah. now i guess again like who know. knows who knows what that means anyway uh, very, very interesting conversation but yes please go check out letterboxd um we will do the grinch at christmas this is from Dan in Sirencester, a regular hey, writer into the show. Thank you, Dan. Um, another great epi, chaps. Always look forward to my <laughs> Wednesday drive home. Oh, oh that's very good. Great. I've got 10 minutes left of the episode, but whilst I remember, here is what came to mind for greatest openings. I do hope you pulled over to write this email. Must write it. He goes, The Dark Knight. Skyfall, brackets, best James Bond intro there will ever be. Pretty good, La yeah. La Land, love that it's a one shot and so memorable that they yes, start both freedom. characters' initial storylines from it at different points in the film. Yes. Baby Driver, came to mind while you came to mind yeah. whilst you were discovering Drive, which is agreeably fantastic. Used to think the world of the film, used to think the world of the film. Oh, used to think the world of the film. Yeah. <laughs> and on rewatching it, it gets a bit worse each time, but the opening gets you straight into the action yeah, and is accompanied that. by a phenomenal soundtrack. Um, and then he's given some suggestions for segments. I'll take a suggestion for a segment. Best Wait, hanger. Can, I, can we, can we, can yeah, we sorry, let's, sorry, let's go with oh, that. So, oh, The so Dark Knight. Great, great movie opening, talked about that. We talked about that briefly. Very heavily informed by Heat, love that. Yes. Next one. Uh, Skyfall. Yeah, great. On Brilliant. The train. Uh, yeah, Bond, lo Bond loses, yes. which is a nice contrast yeah. to usually just, yeah. Okay, um, uh, third one, La La, 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 La Land. Land. Yeah, great. Totally agree. I love the fact that there's different people on this thing and, and the, the, the colourful, filmed in Panavision. Love that. Yeah, great. Next. Baby Driver. Yeah, I uh, agree. Great, great opening. Comes from the short music video, which was a really good thing. Uh, Baby Driver, I agree. Uh, the, the more I've watched it, and the, the less I've actually thought of it. But um, yeah, you know, fun. One thing on the La La Land opening is for me, La La Land was slightly imbalanced with how heavily it leaned on the musical elements in the beginning and where it yes. slightly trailed them yeah. off at the yeah. end. And then it's sort of halfway through the film. I was enjoying it, but I was like, Where's the music? What, what's where where's the music? Yeah. What's the tone? Are we departing from yes. that? Is it is it purposeful and I'm kind of not no, getting no, it. I agree. I, halfway through, I remember thinking, well, "This is basically like crazy, stupid love." Now, where bring bring back yeah. the, bring back the music. And it was so overhyped. It was like, "Oh my god, La La Land, five stars, Oscar nominations." And I saw it, and I was like, oh, "Yeah, I, I liked it." The I hype was aggressive. Hype, aggressive. Aggressive. I, 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 you know, yeah. hold off Whiplash. I was really excited to see uh, Damien yeah. Chazelle. Um, some suggestions for segments. By all means, please send us ideas for the show. Yeah, we, please we do. Need them. People do. Um, yeah, they do. Best hangover films. I watched 10 Things I Hate About You on part Sunday two. and it remains a classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Like, what is it? 10 Things I Hate yeah, About You? Part two. 10 Things I Hate uh, About You. Yeah, yeah. Great. I should rewatch that because I think it's film. probably still yeah. great. I love Julia. Um, Julia. Julia Stiles, right? Yes. Julia Stiles. And then, you two are so agreeable. You always convince each other of your points. I want disagreement. Are there any films you don't <laughs> see eye to eye on? I know what you mean, but there are some films we, do, we don't see eye to eye on. There was um, Spencer. Spencer, most recently. But um, uh, Doctor Strange 2 a little bit. 
Yeah. What's the film that we really are on opposite ends? Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, yeah, we disagreed on that. Matrix, Matrix 4. Oh, Matrix, yeah, completely. We know, the thing is, we didn't properly unpack that Matrix no. discussion. You, I couldn't stand it, and you... I was, thought it was better. I, I thought it was intriguing. intriguing yeah. more, more intriguing than I thought. A bit of, a bit, the more I get away from it, the more I'm like, that was... I think, of, there is, not I think wild. there is room for us Shall to I sit not here and... finish that sentence? Oh, sorry, yeah, go on. Just cut <laughs> across I it. Held it it's idea, fine. As you were. Go on. Oh, I think there's room for uh, 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 like us engaging with each other and really disagreeing but i don't think it's like the pot the format of the podcast should be just like uh, if you don't agree with me i don't need you to agree with me to no. get on with you but i but, but i mean i i, I see his point though. i am interested to know i you know if you were to draw it on a scale mm. of where where we sit is there a film somewhere in in all the films that you are like i absolutely champion this plan i mean i'm like james you're an idiot i think there's films i really like that you might be indifferent on yeah of course like lord of the rings right that I love, and you're like, just whatever. Sure. Rings of Power trailer, man. Fuck, I saw that. This uh, week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It tickled my Tolkien, cool. my Tolkien cool, funny bones. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. This next one is from Anthony. Hey, Pop Kitchen Podcast. Really enjoyed your review of Thor, Love and Thunder. Thank you. Uh, my overall feeling was that they didn't spend enough time building up the villain. For someone who is a god butcher, he does very little butchering on screen. Yes. The whole point with Eternity in the finale seemed like main characters were leaking exposition rather than having a more neutral discovery. Overall, I enjoyed the film, but it felt like it may be one of the weaker Thor films. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think I think you're right. I, th- I think there are a lot of missed opportunities with with Love and Thunder. It like it's serviceable just mm. about, but like I think yeah, missed we got a lot of love for our impression on social media. With people like, oh yeah, that's what that's what I thought. I, I think on the Godbutch thing, I felt like he Christian Bale was great, and I'm almost a bit gutted he he's not he's not going to be in something else. Yeah, been a great threat for a larger. A great, a great opponent for a larger threat. Yeah, I would have liked there to be more butchery, more, more of the nastiness. Get its hands dirty. It's, all, it's just too said, clean. Like, Two thirds of the film was was jokes. It was parody. Yeah. It was spoof. And then you got to the end, and it was like, yeah. Um, hi, lads. Ollie from London here. Absolutely love the show and have been listening for a few months now. A few Yay, months thank now. Thank you, Ollie. Even though I've never met you, it feels as though we are friends through your conversations. <laughs> oh, I love that. Having said that, I was so proud when you told me your story about Glastonbury and seeing Greta where someone is in the crowd saying, play Wonderwall. As oh, that yeah. sarcastic fool was me. What? Whoa, no way. So we must have been standing really near each other. Were you by the tree? I was by the tree. Uh, anyway, this is a great excuse for me to write in and suggest an idea for the show. Every episode, you mentioned so many great films. And while that's amazing, it has inspired me to watch a few things. It'd be great if you could focus in on one one specific recommendation per week we could all watch at the same time and then you could discuss on the next episode just a suggestion but either way keep up the good work thanks well, ollie ollie uh thanks for that email great idea and it's something we would like to do uh, you know every so often it is incredibly in the, the sort of massive production that puts this show together and the time that we have to do it it's, it's quite hard to schedule something ahead of time and a lot of homework to do that however we are going to try and do that a couple of times a year. Say this is coming up. Not just you know we've done our single film deep dives, mm. Jurassic Park, Top Gun, etc. But maybe frag them up ahead of time so people can go back and watch them, and then we can all watch it together. We're going to try and do that, but yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, those will suit the episodes where we spend thirty plus minutes talking about one film. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if it's thing every week. Yeah. We can't be asked. Sorry, to, mate. We yeah. got it's, it's it's tight. And there's so many other new things to talk and about as well. I'd rather see a new film offer. And your emails. We're gonna talk about your emails. emails. Uh, this one is from Grace. Hello from Australia. Australia. Oh my God, no way. All the Sorry, way from Australia. That, that, they're bad. Yeah, that's uh, a little bad. Uh, when I do Australia, I'll drift into South African. Oh, yeah, you I do. Because you, yeah, you, 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 you maybe say it's Perth, maybe. Perth. 
but I used to work for with two ladies from uh, Bris Vegas, they called it. In right. Brisbane. Now but now uh, you're just going sassy. I'm now going, you're going New Zealand. Nah. Sucks. <laughs> Cliggit sucks of them. Jessica, what were you thinking? <laughs> Drinking bubble mixture. Is that like Julian Clary? No, you know, Julian Clary? He's no, not Julian Clary. Julian Clement. Yes, Clement. Jessica, what were you thinking? Anyway, terrible. Sorry, now this is not how you want... Now we piss Grace off. So, Grace, that's not how you wanted us to answer your email. I'm very sorry. What's I have great, been say? binging all of your episodes since George's Louis Theroux and Daniel Plainview impressions <laughs> on TikTok. Top <laughs> tier work. I think huh. That's one of our best. Uh, apologies <laughs> if you've already. Uh, thank you for referencing the Daniel Plainview impression. Like, yeah, because I didn't get that niche one. Yeah, <laughs> but now all I want to do is be like, right. So if if you have a milkshake and and I have a milkshake, does does, does your wife know? <laughs> yeah. you, uh, I was with Daniel Plainview. So you you yeah. drink you drink. <laughs> Yeah, what I do, Louis, is my straw, which is a cross. Right. Okay. okay. So, and, and the oil is that no more? Is that over? A lot of climate activists say that oil is incredibly damaging. I don't listen to those people, <laughs> Louis. I'm through with them. That's right. Apologies if you've already discussed this in another episode, but I was wondering what your thoughts were on the trend of every director being asked their opinion on Marvel superhero movies. Hmm. Do you share the concerns of directors like Scorsese, Cronenberg, Campion, Loach, the list goes on, that Marvel is having a detrimental impact on the art of cinema, the cinema-going experience, and the risk that more and more independent films will only be released via streaming? I live in a relatively big city, and even I've noticed that I don't have a very large window of opportunity to see independent films, I agree, in an actual cinema. Keep up the good content, Grace. Um, we've kind of touched upon this, and I, I echo my sentiment where I think Marvel, the sentiment around Marvel is only as good as its last film. Yeah. And I think when a bad Marvel film is a bit average or poor or it doesn't you know make everyone very excited I think you get a lot of these questions coming in mm -hmm. and I think when they're really great everyone goes oh these are such great things with cinema look at the stories we're able to tell mm. so it just really depends yeah I uh it, it is slightly concerning when you have you know I think it was when No Way Home was coming out and there was like I mean Licorice Pizza was a big independent film I like right Pizza. but like screenings of Licorice Pizza were being bought out by Spider-Man No Way Home in certain cinemas is what I heard, mm. just to extend the run. And it's like, apparently that's what I, what I heard. And that's uh, worrying. I mean, when they said, what, what do we think about directors constantly being asked? I, I almost think, it's okay, if I, I should, should do filmmakers need to have an opinion on, on, on everything like that? I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, I also yeah. think a lot of the statements that are picked up by news News, news, news houses are often taken a little bit out of context. Like the Scorsese thing, like the, we talked about. Yeah, Go, I think we, like last year, very early on, we talked about what Scorsese said with Marvel. We did, like really wanna, early on. There's a YouTube clip if you want to check it out. Um, good day, chaps. Recently, another Aussie? Another, could be. It could be. I don't know any English people who'd say good day. Say good day. Maybe ironically? Maybe. Recently, season three of The Boys has released and has received a lot of praise. As you have reviewed other superhero franchises, I was wondering. If you have, have any opinions on the show and thoughts on the show, love your work, Dan, another Dan. Uh, not seen, I think I saw the first episode actually, but I haven't got into it and uh, I'm okay. That I don't not, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it looks bad. I just think uh, I watched the first episode and I didn't progress um, and I'm, that's it. I've not, seen any, I've not seen any of it. I've heard good things. I do have this thing about um, when you put, I know this is the point of boys, but you've got very like pompous superhero costumes, like really evenly lit. 
in this like very flat like daylight way oh yeah and it's almost like i know that's probably the point yeah. but i'm almost it's some something about the aesthetic makes me go yeah but i hear it's very good maybe yeah. i need like another few more people to recommend also, it for I, me to go i think go maybe i'm it. just a bit burnt out with the superheroes and also that whole, the whole trend of like you know superheroes what if they're bad hey. <laughs> i'm violent i don't know i feel like i've seen that quite a while now but you know hey I'll, i'm i'm happy to be convinced i'm not against it Hi, fellas. Loving the podcast from here in Australia. Australia, what's Whoa, going on? up over there. Found you a tour. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. Yeah, all three way. of our listeners there will yeah. come over. Found you on TikTok and binged you straight away. I like that people are binging us. Yeah. That seems to be a common thing. Just, just, just keep getting the views from the old stuff. Thank you. Um, got a few things. So sorry in advance for the length. Um, number one, thanks for the recommendation for Severance. Hadn't heard much about it and sought it out from hearing it here. Amazing show. What project, film two, what project, film or TV, upset you the most from being stuck in development hell? My two are Assassin's Creed and Green Lantern. Both suffered from a dodgy first outing and have struggled to find their feet since. Shows are in development, HBO Max for... GL and Netflix for AC. Oh, sorry, for yeah, Green Lantern and Netflix for AC. But I won't hold my breath. Uh, three, keep up the good work, boys. Your love of film is infectious. And I always find myself saying, oh. that's what I was thinking, <laughs> but always wording it so much better. Cheers, Dan. P.S. Yes, I'm saying it. Bring back the food. Okay, that's one in the f yes for food pile. We've got a couple in no for food pile. Um, um, yeah, Severance is just on. Severance is very good. Uh, I will watch Very it. cool ending to the season. I won't say much, but it's... Uh, I, I am, I'm really excited to watch it. I'm slightly concerned that like lost i wonder if the theories about what's going to happen is going to be more interesting than the answer ah, do you know yes, what i mean yes it could be one of those where like us speculating yeah is where the fun is yes but it's really good adam scott is um I feel like in the last few years, he's had a bit of a career yeah. resurgence. And I think what they've done quite interestingly is Adam Scott is, uh, he's really good at playing an asshole and a, and a really nice guy. Yeah. And he's sort of playing a bit of two in, in this show. And I like that he's a really good looking guy, but they've sort of made him look really like wearied mm. and, and like haggard and aged. And it's quite a nice way to sort of frame his character for that. Um, and then, yeah, is there any, George, were there any, TV or film projects you were upset from being stuck in development hell? Not off the top of my head, I'm sorry. Yeah, not off the top of my head. Uh, a lot of gaming ones are usually like <laughs> stuck in development yeah. hell, yeah, but yeah. I talked all about that when I we spoke about The Last of Us last week, but or two weeks ago. Other than that, I can't think off the top of my head, but I know what you mean. It, it's frustrating. Yeah. I try not to stay... Uh, too, I try not to keep my ear too close to the ground of like projects that are in development, because yeah. you can get very excited and then it never happens. And, yeah. I feel weird wearing one of these shirts because it's... It's not my usual attire. It's just so hot in the UK that I've, I've basically become mm. you. Wearing shorts. I am. We, yeah, we've been wearing shorts for a while. One of our YouTubers spotted like, that. Didn't expect, you didn't to, expect to see was, us from the waist down. It was Mark, who's a big fan of the show. Yeah, hey, Mark. So. Commenting on the shorts. Hi, Mark. Um, Matt writes into hello at Pop Kitchen Podcast and says, hey, guys, absolutely love the podcast, and I always look forward to the next episode. Yay. I just graduated with a first-class honours in composition, and I started my master's in music in September. Well That's done. Awesome. Well done. Uh, my question slash episode ideas for you both is, what do you regard as your favourite slash best film score? <sighs> Big question. We should maybe do an episode on this, but I worry about not being able to listen to the scores as we talk about them for copyright reasons. Mm, um, George, any that quickly come to your head. I mean, Interstellar. Interstellar is phenomenal. TikTok has reclaimed that score completely. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Jurassic Park, uh, uh, Binary Sunset, Star Wars. Uh, it's very like obvious one. I'm trying to think what soundtrack I can listen to from. Oh, uh, uh, Mika Levy's score for Under the Skin. And oh, for the, um, the shame score, which I know I mentioned is one of my favorite films, uh, but it's a haunting, uh, really like beautiful uh, companion. Johnny Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood. Um, yeah. I think Mika Levy again did it for, or no, I can't remember who it was, but for Jackie. And also Johnny Greenwood's score for Spencer. Uh, James Newton Howard's For the Village. It's really right. useful. 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that's the sum. Yeah, that's, that's a quick little. Oh, David Holmes for Ocean's Eleven. Great, great. So <laughs> make sure score and soundtrack in there. But yeah. great. Yeah. Um, who, who are your favorite film composers? Uh, being an expiring composer, I can't help but categorize mine. Han, Hans Zimmer, the, oh, go, the goat. What, got another one, sorry. I think it's Abel. Abel Korzowski for Nocturnal Animals. Oh, so good. Yeah, the, really the good. music swell when she's waiting at the yeah. dinner table at the yeah. end and she's kind of realizing what might have happened. Yeah. And yeah. There's called, one it's called, called like, Table for Two. That yeah, track. and there's one called like Wayward Sisters, I think, or something like Wayward Stories. And it's the like Hitchcock. Oh, it's great. It's great. Um, so he's, he's listed some of his favorite yep. uh, composers. Hans Zimmer, one of the best composers at creating worlds of sound. I feel Interstellar and Dune are the most prominent examples of his that come to mind. I mean, Hans Zimmer, you could just yeah, go I mean, for, yeah, forever. Take about. He's up there, you know, John Williams, Hans Zimmer, you know, you don't and need then, to uh, Michael Giacchino. Giacchino, Giacchino. Uh, um, Michael Giacchino. 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 Oh, Michael Giacchino. And then you got another one where you're like, this must be Michael Giacchino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he's at the top of the food chain in composing music, which complements animation. The score of The Incredibles and Ratatouille are just fantastic. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yes. Oh, oh my God. The Social Network tra- um, music. So Again, that, we talk about Social haunting, Network. That um, like, yeah, 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 yeah. like, the hits just at the right time <laughs> when, when the, when the music's yeah. like, you're part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. Fantastic. Of fantastic score. And also they did, I don't know if you have anyone, I don't know if you watched it, but like there was an 18 hour Vietnam War documentary thing that came out a couple of years ago with Ken Burns and they did the uh, soundtrack for that and it changed the whole thing. It's fantastic. Oh, Howard Shaw, Lord of the Rings. Oh right. my God. Just completely yeah. mesmerizing in every single way. That guy creates like a, a, a complete fleet of different sounds and feels for each period and yeah. set, like setting that you're in. And you just know as soon as the music plays, that's what emotional note we're hitting for that, those people. Yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. I don't know if he's doing Rings of Power. Who knows? And of course, John Williams. He's someone that I dream of meeting and even, gra- even to grasp a crumb of his orchestral mastery one day would be a dream come true. Star Wars in some ways, is a, in so many ways, is a space opera. So in that sense, he's kept the music of romantic 20th century composition alive and fresh for the present day. I mean, yeah, John Williams is yeah. the soundtrack of everyone in the last 40 years of his yeah. childhood. Um, he's very old now. And we're probably, is he retired? I think he's done the last few Star Wars projects. Uh, I think, I think he's, he's done the last few Spielberg projects as well. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, but yes, great guy. Keep up the good work, and who knows, one day you might be reviewing a film that I've composed the music for. It's free to dream. All the best, Matt. Matt, I would love that. Uh, Definitely stay in touch, and best of luck with uh, all your studies. Yes. This one is from James from Johannesburg, South Africa. Right, I'm just going to give a shout-out to the globe-trotting Pulp Kitchen audience. Yes. We we represent, you know, we get it. Thank you so much. Flying the Pulp Kitchen flag. Hi, lads. I found the podcast a month or two back and haven't been able to stop listening to it whilst working on my high school art portfolio final. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, the question I would like to ask is about Stanley Kubrick. I'm under the impression that Kubrick is the greatest filmmaker of all time. I would love to hear what your thoughts are on his style, legacy, and overall impact as a filmmaker on cinema as a whole. Whoa. Even if it is a sentence or two, a quote, story, or even a word word to describe him. Uh, sorry about the length, but I've fallen in love with the podcast and would love to hear these oh. things. I've mentioned discussed on the show. By the way, can't wait to listen to the Star Wars prequel discussion. Also, Try not to lose your cameras or spill water over your laptop. <laughs> I do really like the podcast, and that's from James. Um, yeah, George yep. is on a water ban. Yeah, I'm not so allowed any water. He's not allowed any liquids on the table um, now until he sort of you know reins in the limbs. <laughs> but you know, I also don't want to. I don't want to cripple your performance. No, I want sure. you to keep flacking, like flashing out. Um, there. Um, so, so Stanley James, Kubrick, George. Well, Stanley Kubrick. Um, where to, where to begin? Two things come to mind. The first is if you're really interested in Stanley Kubrick, you should watch this documentary called Film Worker that came out a couple of years I ago, right? Which is about Leon Vitale, who was an actor 
who had been in a couple of things. Then he was in Barry Lyndon, Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, and he saw Stanley Kubrick working, and he thought, this guy is a genius. I want to be, whatever he does next, I want to be a part of it. And he just became essentially... Uh, Stanley Kubrick's personal assistant and did did loads of stuff not not just personal assistant stuff but loads of stuff across all of Stanley Kubrick's films right and he was very influential in, in certain decisions and in The Shining he like looked after uh, Danny Lloyd and he, he's just there all the time and it was in Stanley Kubrick's work and but it was an incredibly grueling role and Stanley Kubrick could be a tyrant and could be very you know mm. uh demanding and overbearing and uh, Leon Vitale comes and he's in Eyes Wide Shut. I've not seen it, but he's in the, the ceremony under the mask. And it's just a really interesting, uh, very novel perspective on working with one of the most famous and uh, iconic filmmakers of the 20th century. I mean, that's what I would describe Stanley Kubrick as. I guess it's iconic when you think of films like Clockwork Orange, 2001, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Gosh, of his entire like camera work and like how influential on not yes. just films, but like video in general. Yes, he, he's <laughs> just he makes videos. People reference Stanley Kubrick. He, shots. Yeah, and, and in terms of composition, it's just incredibly visionary and incredibly striking. Burns striking, into the back of exactly. Your retinas, like, yeah. um, I think there are other. I think there are filmmakers who are not English or American who have equal merit in terms of their like visual aptitude and and and, and work. But Stanley Kubrick is incredibly striking. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that there was a fantastic exhibition about Stanley Kubrick at the Design Museum a couple of years ago, I'd say three years ago. I think it's touring around the world. It was in LA for a bit, which basically got all of his notebooks out, all of his archives, went through film by film, props, cameras, everything right there. You just immersed yourself in his brain for like three hours. And as you got in, as you entered the exhibition, the carpet was the shining carpet. Oh, and then it cool. led you in and it was, uh, it was, it was brilliant. Um, what do I think of his films? I... Uh, I, I think no, yeah. <laughs> what a load of guff! Yeah. Uh, no, I've, I've, I think I've only seen Stanley Kubrick films once. So I've seen mm. The Shining once and thought, interesting. Go, goes a bit nuts at the end. Clockwork Orange. I think I watched when I was sixteen, but I remember thinking this is really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think misunderstood at the time for like, the, the way it deals with violence. Um, Full Metal Jacket. Great first half. Yeah. Great, great. That's a, it's two films in one. The first bit's great. The second bit kind of just goes off. I remember discovering Kubrick in my late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And, and remember I talked about the effect of being like, oh, that's where that comes from. Yes. But like 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> Just be like, yeah, that, that'll be what's, what makes yeah. an inspiring uh, influential filmmaker. What I will say is I, I actually really want to go back and discover early Kubrick. Um, you know, um, mm. The Killing is one of his, a black and white film, 1954, that was apparently a sort of like non-linear narrative, quite influential on Reservoir Dogs. Um, I've, Doctor Strange, love. I, I, I really enjoyed, but would like to go back and watch that again. Uh, I've not seen Lolita. I don't think you need to see Spartacus necessarily. I think Spartacus is probably quite dated now. Um, it was just his sort of first and only studio film. Yeah, that's just my Kubrick summary. That's probably as much you. as we'll do without going on for half an hour. Yes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Hi guys, found you on TikTok, and I'm obsessed with the podcast. As people who are into movies, is there anything that is near universally lauded that you just don't get? For me, it's The Big Lebowski. I must have watched it five times on people's recommendation that it rewards reviewing, and I still just don't get it. I could e I could take this even wider and say I don't like the majority of Coen Brothers' work, well, but now yeah. that's getting very controversial. Love the pod and keep up the good work, Ollie. It's the top of my head. Because I don't want to... We James and I, we do make a mm. kind of a conscious decision. We don't like to really dwell on the negatives. 
it's easy. It's very uh, easy to sit here and go, this is no of, good. Yeah, in the law of averages, the amount of films you watch, you're going to see more films that you don't like than, than, than you do, mm. right? It's very easy to say, I don't like this one, I don't like this one. So we kind of stay away from it. But just to answer that question oh, quickly, Tom, Tom Ed, I would say, I mean, I mentioned it before, Fight Club I've never gelled with, and yeah. I can't quite put into words why that is. I'm very sorry. Um, we were talking about it earlier. Ghostbusters. I don't... Uh, Ghostbusters. Nev, I'm sorry. I just don't. It's true. Yep. We've talked about that briefly. Uh, I mean, even think for... Films, this is like, don't like those. It's not just like, oh, I didn't get it. Uh, um, three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I've, oh, I, I liked Billboards. No, I thought it was, uh, I thought oh, it was cheeky. Um, what was the one? Uh, wait, hang on. I think it was, uh, well, I didn't like, sorry about Three Billboards. And I brought it up. I think my issue with Three Billboards is that like, it can't decide whether to play it uh, straight or, or, or when to be funny. And like, sometimes it goes for surrealism with like the burnt out police office and like the guy being thrown out the window, but then it suddenly jolts and wants to be about heartfelt drama. Mm. And then what, what really bothered me is that I thought it was going to be m- m- much more of a comment about like wider issues. Uh, like, so there's a comment at the beginning, the like where they say about Sam Rockwell's character, they say, oh, you're just busy beating up black people in jail. And I was like, okay, social commentary, let's get into that. That is then never mentioned again. And it's about a very specific sort of um, character study of between, you know, Frances McDormand, Woody Harrelson, and Sam mm. Rockwell. I... <laughs> I, I was really un- underwhelmed. The name of this film is escaping me with uh, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. Green Book. Green Book. Well, that's the uh, one I talked about when I said it works as a film, but I know it doesn't. Yeah, that one. You don't. Yeah, I remember watching that going like, oh God, yeah, nominated Best Picture. And me and my girlfriend just were like, this is yep. really well, uh, yeah, broad it's, strokes. It's out, it's out, it's out of date. <laughs> it's like 30 years out of date. Yeah. Yeah. I and, felt I felt yeah. like I was the crazy one and everyone was going, this is amazing. Just Be- couldn't. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I I, saw, I, saw, I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. I didn't. I think yeah. we're gonna. You know, what, I'm gonna stop that. I think it's the, when you. I feel like everyone loves. I it. think it's more be- when you're talking about older films that are like revered as classics. Yeah, so I would say yeah, Fight Club and Ghostbusters. I just never, I never got on board with really. Yeah. Hey! Exclamation mark! Exclamation hey. mark! Uh, I was so. Oh, this one is from Bevin from oh, two Bevin. weeks ago. Hey, Bevin. Bevin. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, hey, I was so happy in block caps when you read out my email on your most recent pod. I literally told all my friends. Hey. Lol. Uh, Irish cinema is something I'm very passionate about. As a filmmaker myself, yes. I'm coming from a filmmaking family. We have a lot of pride for the cinema we create. So when Bevin emailed last time, yes. we said we weren't scholars so, so, of so Irish cinema. And Bevin's from she Ireland. She said, um, "What Irish films and Irish cinema do you do you know about?" I kind of drew a blank. Yeah. yeah, but we said by all means please yes, send recommend. us some stuff to to watch because we'd love to uh and she said some films i suggest and she's given us uh five in the name of the father yes sing street yes adam and paul no it's... the crying game yes my left foot right i okay. hope this helps i hope this helps you guys out it's a good intro into the world of irish cinema if you have any more questions please please feel free to contact me i'm more than happy to help all the love best that. bevin bevin our yeah. irish correspondent yeah. another international listener as well love that um bevin thank you so much um just on those so in the name of the father i have seen that's daniel day lewis uh you know guilford four pete possibly constantly see clips of that on tiktok it's it's a good it, it's a solid film i think it's dated a little bit now right. um i watched it quite recently Daniel Day Lewis, obviously great. Pete, Postle- Pete Postlethwaite, obviously great. Um, yeah, just 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 dated a bit now. I think the way that that, that story would be told. Uh, my left foot, similarly, it's been such a long time since I've seen that. The Crying Game is an interesting one. I'd like to rewatch that. That is uh, very you know uh, famous at the time, and I think you know kind of transgressive. Um, but yeah, and it's got that kind of uh, Miranda Richardson in the sort of. Pulp Kitchen esque kind of uh, cut wig, and yeah. it's, got, it's got one of the famous like twists that was then like joked about halfway through. Um, which I, I don't want to ruin it for you, um, but it's got Stephen Rear in it, and uh, yeah. So Bevin, thank you very yes. much. That is all the correspondence. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, one more. Sorry, sorry. 
And Sing Street, we talked about in a previous episode with another correspondent who wrote in about musicals. Um, yeah. Really, really charming. John Carney, I think, made it. Um, he also made that film once, which I haven't seen. But Sing Street, great, great uh, stuff. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, I think that's it for those Irish things. I can't remember any more. Bevan, thank you so much. Yeah. We will keep you in mind for all things Ireland. Yes. That is all we have for this week in terms of emails. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. If you want to write in and send us an email, you can do by emailing hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com and we will do our best to read out your emails on the show. As you can tell, if you have emailed in, we are sometimes a couple of weeks behind, but please do send them in anyway. They are amazing. All right, George, as always, we like to end the show with a game. Today we are playing Cast List Countdown. I'm going to name cast members of a film in ascending order of importance, and you have to try and guess the film before I get to the end. And I know there are people listening who have heard this game many times. So yes. we, when we explain the rules, they're probably like, we know, but you know, they're in, in case listers. someone doesn't. Listers, absolutely. That's how we want everyone to play at home. Okay, okay, George, are you ready? I'm ready. You have to guess the film based on its cast. In three, two, one. Caleb Landy Jones. Landry Jones. Landry Jones. Hmm. Annabelle Wallace. Oh God, I don't know if I know who she is. You do. Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Oh well, been in, been in so much. I might say this wrong. Eddie Gathagi. Eddie Gathagi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gathagi. Could it be? Could be Gathagi. Gathagi. Um, I don't know. Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne. Um, oh. Um, it's uh, it's uh, Lucas first Till. Class. Yes. Lucas who? Lucas Till. Okay, I don't know, but he's the yeah. one with the, uh, the. Is it the chest that flies Havoc. out? Havoc. Havoc. Yes. And then you could have had. Um, I said Zoe Kravitz. Uh, January Jones. Yes. Nicholas Holt. Yes. Kevin Bacon. Yes. Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Michael Fassbender. Yes. James McAvoy. Right. Lots of names in there. Stacked. Stacked. Big I names. Think Kevin Bacon's in that. Yeah, he Kevin is. Kevin Bacon. I mean, like, I like him making ruined himself for us with the EE adverts, you know? Oh, the, God. You know? That's been going on for a decade. And he's just like, bringing it in. Yeah, he just, I, wonder, I would love to know that. He probably would have, what, uh, three weeks filming a year? Probably, if Maybe that, less. If less. But it's it dotted throughout, yeah, day here, just day there. Just on pre-roll ads on YouTube before yeah. you go to uh, the cinema, before but you go I'm see sure there are it, bus ads. I'm sure there is a whole, like, tranche of people now who know Kevin Bacon solely as the EE e guy. Yeah. If you said... You know, Footloose, X-Men, you know, the last time. E. Yeah. E, yeah, like the E guy. He used to be an actor. I'm on E and everything. <laughs> I can't even talk. He's the guy they make the joke about in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh, wow, no. Well, there you go. Kevin Bacon. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget, we post a new episode of this show every single Wednesday. And guys, you know the drill. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. Come see what other stuff's happening. And come look at the channel throughout the week as well. I know we put our main episode out, yep. but, you know, loads of stuff happening. And write in to us and give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Hit that, you know, star button on Spotify. If you were listening, please just thank you for listening. But, you know, we also put this out on video. Please stop. Go to your YouTube app and just go and subscribe to the YouTube. Please. Yes. It makes such a big difference. Um, yes, that is that is everything. Go oh, ahead. yeah. And if you want to write into the show, like so many of you did this week, you can do by emailing hello at Pop Kitchen Podcast. We love to hear your emails. That's all we have for today. Yeah, go enjoy the go rest of your week, guys. Kevin Bacon Films. Yes. Yeah.